in the book of Jeremiah. We're kind of walking through the life of Jeremiah. We talked about the idea that, that God called him in a very unusual time. If you remember the story of the children of Israel, they went into the promised land, they wanted a king, God gave them a king by the name of Saul. Saul then didn't do what he was supposed to, so God gave them a king by the name of David. Uh, then came Solomon. Then came his two sons in the kingdom split. Ten tribes went to the north. We know that as Israel. Two tribes went to the south. We know them as Judah. In the tribes that went to the north, there was no good king. So they had nothing but bad king after bad king after bad king. And very quickly, they go into captivity. The, tribes, the two tribes in the south, Judah, had good kings and bad kings, and they kind of went back and forth. They, however, were following in many of the same traits as Israel to the north and were worshiping other gods, and they had forgotten them. And the good kings and bad kings that they had, the last good king they had was a guy by the name of Josiah. Josiah started reigning at eight years old, and in Josiah's reign, he is the last good king in Israel or in Judah. And so as Josiah is reigning, there are going to be four bad kings that come after him. And then Israel, Jerusalem in particular, is going to fall. And the people are going to go into captivity. And then there's going to be a little bit more history about Judah uh, in the Bible. Jeremiah comes into this scene <clears throat> about 13 years into the reign of Josiah. So for about 20 years, Jeremiah's going to preach to a group of people where everything's going good. And then very quickly after that, when Josiah goes, there's going to be four kings and eventually Jerusalem, the city that was the crown jewel of Israel and Judah, is, is gone and is destroyed. And so Jeremiah starts trying to prepare these people for the idea of if you don't turn from your ways... If you don't change, everything that you see is going to be gone. You'd better realize what you've got now, and you'd better get back to God. And we talked about last week in chapter 2, it was really a plea that they had not just forsaken God, but they literally had gone out and aggressively pursued pagan gods. And Jeremiah's heartbroken. So this morning, we're going to come to Jeremiah 3 and 4, and basically, here's what's going to happen. In chapter 3, Jeremiah is going to use an analogy of these people of divorce. And he's going to say, you know what? He said, Judah, you are like a woman that has been married to a man, but you have decided that that man is not going to meet your needs, so you have gone off and you have pursued all kinds of other lovers. Not just one, but lots and you need to understand, Judah, that God loves you enough that if you abandon them and come back to him, God will say, I'll take you back. And he begs, Israel, he begs Judah, he says, look, you've got to understand, God wants you back. But if you're going to come back, some things have to change. So he begs them, he says, look, learn from Israel North. They're, they're devastated right now because they didn't listen to this, and they're all in captivity. And he says, God, God will forgive you. And he said, right now, the direction that you're going, God's disappointed. So he challenges them to come back. So with that in mind, we're going to pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 21. And here's what it says. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel. 
because they've perverted their ways and forgotten the Lord their God. Return, faithless people. I'll cure you of your backsliding. Now, Jeremiah is talking here, and he says there is weeping. We don't know if that weeping is from Israel to the north that's now wiped out, or if it's actually from the people in Judah who are saying, okay, Jeremiah, we get it. We're wrong. We ask that, you know, we're sad about what we're doing. And I think that's really the, the context here. And so Jeremiah says, um, return, faithless people. I'll cure you of your backsliding. Yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hillside and mountains is deception. Surely the Lord is the salvation of Israel. From our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our father's labor, their flocks, their herds, their sons, their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame. Let, us disgra- let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God, both we and our fathers, from our youth till this day. We have not obeyed the Lord our God. So he basically comes to him and he says, hey, um, the people come and say, hey, okay, we get it, Jeremiah. We're sorry. We, we all want to come back to God now. And notice what he says. If you will return, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord, if you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray. And if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will be blessed by him, and in him they will, they will glory. Uh, going on. Did I get the whole thing in here? Let's go on one more, Nick. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. All right. I was afraid of this. I tried to check it right before, and we didn't get it. So let me read the rest of it to you. Um, what happens is when I do this at home, and if I don't change the setting on the computer every time here, then it messes it up. So here's what chapter 4 says. These things are called Bibles. Um, we do encourage you to bring them so you can check out what's on the screen, but that's okay. I get, you know. So Jeremiah chapter 4, here it is. If thou return, O Israel, said the Lord, return to me, and, and if thou put away your abominations out of my sight, then thou will then shalt thou not remove. And if thou wilt swear, the Lord lives in truth and judgment and righteousness, and the nation shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, sow not among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves in the Lord, and take away the foreskin of your heart, you men of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn that none can quench it, because the evil of your doings. He comes to him, and, and basically, here's what Jeremiah says. He said, your tears are not enough. Now, you need to think about that. I mean, here the people are going, okay, Jeremiah, we goofed up, we, we repent, we're sorry, and basically what Jeremiah says is, hey, you need to know, God will take you back. But it's not about your words, and it's not even about your tears. That's not enough. If you really want to come back, you need to, he tells them two things, break up the fallow ground and circumcise your hearts. In other words, what he's saying is, guys, it's more than just talk. You can't just say, oh, yeah, we want to come back to God, and God will say, sure, and add me to the list of all the other gods that you've pursued. He said, no. He said, you have to break up fallow ground. Okay, farmers, help me out. What is fallow ground? So it hasn't had any crop on it. 
So what's he really saying about their relationship to God? Yeah, this is a new thing for them. They have no relationship with God. He's saying, you're going, you, you, you've abandoned God, you've pursued other things, so the first thing you're going to need to do is break up the fallow ground. Go back and establish a relationship with God and then circumcise what? Your heart. What's he saying? He's saying, guys, it's not enough to just say, I want to follow God. You're going to have to put some actions behind what you're saying. And you need to know, God will take you back. And God will forgive you. But it has to be from the inside out, not from the outside in. And that's basically his message to these people. There has to be some real actions behind what you're saying to God at this point. So with that in mind, two lessons for us. And I think they're, 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 they're two really, really important practical lessons. The first thing that he is telling them is the idea that you guys have forgotten God. Now, in chapter 2, he said, you've forsaken God. When he gets to this thing, he said, you've forgotten the things that God has done for you. He said, you, you, you forgot. God didn't bring you out of the wilderness and out of the desert to live like this. And he really challenges them. He says, look, go back and remember what God's done for you. Go back and remember how God got you to where you are today. And I think that's important. You see, the, the, the relationship with God was not in these people. They, they were fallow ground kind of people. The relationship with God was in who? Help me out. If they don't have it, who had the relationship with God? Jeremiah, Jeremiah and? Huh? You've got to talk really loud because this whole head is. What's that? Everybody doesn't want to be. Hey. Yes, exactly right. The generations before. It was in their, their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents. It had never materialized in their own heart. They were like fourth or fifth generation people of God. And at that point, they didn't even have a relationship with God. And one of the things that he says is go back, study your history, understand where you came from. Understand what God did to bring you into the land that you now sit. And I think there's a great lesson for us. Because you know what I find so many of us do? And we're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the old path. I think we've forgotten what God's done. And over and over again in the life of the children of Israel, what did God always have? When Israel, when something great happened in the life of the nation of Israel, what did God tell them to do? Do you remember? They set up markers. They'd take a big pile of stones and they would pile it up and they would paint it white or they, 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 they would make it different. And the idea was that as you walked along and you saw that pile of stones and there was something unique about it, you'd look at mommy or daddy or grandpa and grandma, and you say, hey, what's that all about? You know, we do it in our country. We have little roadside markers, and we fly by them at 75 mile an hour. Like, what was that? I don't know. There was a marker there, though, somewhere. Um, I actually know a guy who stops at those and reads them. Um, and I've thought, man, does he ever get anywhere? But, I mean, but he has all this incredible history that he knows whenever you're with him, you know, because he does all of that kind of stuff. 
And, and yet, I think that's what happens in our lives. We're, we as Christians, we, we, first of all, we don't set up markers. We don't take the time to really say, what has God done in my life to get me to where I am today? And so it's easy for us to just go on and take for granted what God's really done or not acknowledge what God's done. Um, 2 Peter says it this way. He says that uh, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and glory. So these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, escape the corruption. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness, knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brother kindness, to brother kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of God. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind. He's forgotten that he's been cleansed from all this. He says, you've got to remember what God's done, folks. And, and that's my challenge to you this week. I want to challenge you to go through your life this week, look back a little bit, and ask yourself, what are the markers in my life? What are the spiritual markers where God did something and I saw God's hand evident in my life? What are those markers? Um, you know, I, and I was, as I was working on this thing, I was, I was thinking about mine. You know, I'll never forget, I was in college. I was a poor college student. And I mean poor college student. When I first took my wife out off campus, she laughed at me because she had already graduated. She had a job. She came back for us to go off campus. I walked out of the dorm, and my pockets were full, like this, of change to pay for our date. Because all I had was change. I mean, I didn't have bills. I mean, I was a poor, you know, I'd scraped it all together to be able to take her out. Uh, I was one of those kind of students. Well, one of the things that I did when I was in college, I used to work at a camp, um, in a Christian camp on the weekends from time to time. And what would always happen is all the kids would work there all semester, but when it came time for midterms and finals, uh, everybody, no, they, they could get no volunteers. So what I would do is I would try to study ahead of time so that when we got to the weekend before finals and midterms, I could volunteer to go to the camp and work because I knew that would be their, their hardest time to get workers. So that's what I used to do. Now the problem was I would work on weekends to get money. But when I did that, that was a volunteer thing. So I got no money that weekend. And I'll never forget, I was coming back, and, and of course, I, I basically only needed money for one thing, or a couple things, laundry and breakfast. That's basically my only expenses. And breakfast consisted of a vending machine, package of peanut butter crackers, and a Coke. And I was breakfast every morning for four years. And uh, I'm not saying it was good. I'm just saying that's what it was. So I needed enough money to get my crackers and my Coke and pay for my laundry. That, that's what my money was. to. And I would make the money on the weekend, volu- you know, doing different. They had a job thing, and she'd go cut wood or do this or do that, whatever. Well, on that weekend, I didn't get any money. And I'll never forget, because I was coming home, and I went, you know what? First of all, um, I have no money. And I have no money for this coming week. And I just volunteered for two days to do and go up there at work. And I'll, I'll never forget, as I'm riding back with a bunch of guys, I just prayed. And I said, God, look, um, no big deal, but, you know, I gave up this weekend 
to try to serve and minister to other people. And you're going to have to take care of me this week. And I don't know how, but you're going to have to take care of me. Now, I had not shared that with anyone. There is not a soul that knew that except me and God. And it wasn't like I walked around hinting to people, oh, do I look hungry? Um, you know, I didn't hit, I didn't say anything to anyone. This was a me and God thing alone. And I will never forget, I walked into my dorm at the end of that weekend, sitting on my bed is an envelope with my name on it and cash in it. And it was one of those things where God taught me really early in my ministry this. If you make a decision to follow me with your heart, I will take care of the other stuff. Don't make your decisions based on the financial end of it. Make your decisions based on what I want you to do. And so early in my ministry, when I was in college, I learned the idea that, you know what? If I will faithfully pursue God, he will take care of the other stuff. Those of you who know my story here know that there was a money issue involved in coming here, but I did not make the decision based on money. Why? Because there was a spiritual marker that was set when I was in college that said, figure out what God wants you to do. He will take care of the rest of it. And it's a, it's a, it's a marker that I share with my kids from time to time. And it's a marker that I say, so I can look back. So when I'm in a financial deal or, or I'm trying to figure out how God's going to meet this need, I can look back and go, you know what? We need to do what God wants us to do and the rest of it will come along. Because it's a marker I set when I was 20-some-odd years old. It's a marker in my life. And, and I say that to say this. Some of you have not taken the time to identify what those markers are. And here's what's even more important. Then, you know, once you've identified them, then you know what you need to do? You teach them to your kids and your grandkids. You sit down and tell them the stories. See, this is the problem with, with our culture today is as soon as the written word became popular, then all of a sudden, the storytelling went away. And, and we supposedly are in a generation that is connected, but we're the most disconnected people. My wife and I have actually been watching TV. In our house, here's how this works. I have my chair. She has her chair. We've actually been watching TV and found ourselves texting each other. <laughs> we don't do it often, but I mean, it's been a deal where she's gone, uh, and I'm like, uh, and we'll talk too, but I mean, it's one of those deals where we are both on the computer, we're both doing our own thing, and, and, and it's like, there's some, we're trying to, in fact, we're getting ready to go on vacation, we're thinking about having a no phone at the restaurant rule. What's that? Try this. Yeah, try it with, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're having to. We're having to. You know? We're having to. Why? Because we're in that kind of world where we're so, but yet we, we don't really talk and we don't really, and our kids need to hear the stories. Please, our kids need to hear the stories. Our kids, because then it can become, then their struggles can become their stories as we go through it. And I, and I just want to challenge you because here's what Israel does. They've forgotten God. 
And, and, and Jeremiah comes to him and says, look, you need to get back and plow up your life and build a relationship with God. Your relationship with God. Not your parents, your grandparents, or somebody else. It needs to be your relationship. You know, the thing that's exciting to me about this ministry, a lot of you are first-generation Christians in your family. Now, I know that's a burden to you, too, because you have loved ones that you care about, but you're the first generation in your family that's really had a faith and trust and a personal relationship with Christ. If you're going to pass that on, you really have to be able to know what your story is and know what those markers are and identify them. And you'll know what's behind you. You know, you know me. I'm not a big fan of looking back. But you look back at those markers to help you as you go forward. You know, just like when you're driving. Most of your time spent looking forward. But you do look in your rearview mirror, and you do look in your side mirror once in a while to make sure that there's not flashing lights behind you. <laughs> it's not because you're driving fast. It's because there's an emergency, and they're going quickly to the emergency. That's why you make that reference. Uh, but, I mean, you do. You, you, you glance back. Why? To get some perspective and to understand. And, and I think some of you, some of you really struggle right now, and you're, you're really discouraged with where you are in your Christian walk, where you are in your You know what would do you a lot of good? Is to really sit down and take a good, hard look at how far you have come. What God really has done. Where you were 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years ago. And what God has done. Has the journey been all smooth? No, it's been rocky as all get out. Been hills and valleys and everything else. But you know what? All the way through it, I've been able to see God at work. And make those markers. The other thing he tells these people is, look, if you're going to change, if you want to come back to God, that's great. But there's going to have to be some reality behind what you're doing. There's going to have to be some walk with the talk. Um, you know the passage in James says it this way, because you always hear me talk about this and refer to this. But James says it this way, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, it, by the way, Nike did not come up with this. Just do it. Just do it. When God says it, do it. Don't debate it. Don't question it. Don't, don't, don't pick it all apart. Just go and do it. When God impresses on your heart what you need to do and is consistent with the word of God and you're listening to prompting the Holy Spirit, just do it. And he goes on to say, anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like a man who looks his face in a mirror. After looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, we in our culture, we've got these like really cool mirrors that actually reflect you. When this was written, you know what a mirror was? It was a shiny piece of brass. It was a shiny piece of metal. It'd be like me telling you to go and look at your car bumper. That's your mirror. And it's not real clear, but you can kind of tell what you look like is, is the idea. And, he's, and in this culture, he's saying, look, yeah, do what it says. You're like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking goes his way and forgets what he looks like. Let me look at my mirror going, oh, I got a big hunk of food right here on my shirt. That's okay. No, I look at it and go, okay, I got to go change shirts. I do something about it. He said, don't be like the person who's looking at it going, oh, wow, I should probably shave. Oh, well. 
You know, my wife gets after me because I have one of these long eyebrow or eye eyelash eyebrow 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 things, and they start doing these goofy things. You know, <laughs> and so you know, once in a while she look at me and go, "It's time to take care of that problem." And I, by the way, guys, there's one of these little cordless razor things, and you go, deep, deep, deep. not razor, but it's like it's a mustache thing, and you can use it on your eyebrows. Works really well, really quick, uh, painless. Uh, and, and so it's one of those deals where it's like, you know, you do something about it, don't you? And what James is saying is, look, you take the word of God and you do something with it. You apply it to your life. And that's, in essence, what, and he goes on, he says, the man who looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom continues to do it, not forgetting what he has heard. Again, that idea of remembering again, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. You honor God, God will honor you. You honor God since God designed us and formed us and made us and gave us a Bible. He knows how we best work. So he says, don't do this, not because he wants to be some cosmic killjoy, because God knows that's the best way to do it. But take a look, because here's what he was saying to these people. Take a look. You're saying you want to come back to God? Fine. Then here's how you prove it. You go back, you break up the fallow ground, you look at your heart, and you, you start motivating yourself from the inside out. Not just clean up the outside. And over and over again, you've heard Christ say this. He looked at the Pharisees and he said, you're like whitewashed sepulcher. You look all great in the outside, but the inside's all messed up. And he's saying, look, take a good hard look at your heart. Get what you're doing on the outside matching what's happening inside. Check your motives. Look at why you're doing what you're doing. And he challenges them to, to, to do that. For those of you, I would say, look, take a look at your life. Look at Look at, does the outside match the inside? It's supposed to. The outside and the inside should match. And that's what Jesus taught. That's what Jeremiah is trying to get across to these people. You can sit up there on the mountain and you can pray and you can weep and you can cry all you want, but the truth of the matter is, come down here and live it out. Show these people that you're really going to follow God. Be real about, about, about your belief. That's all he's saying to them. And I want to challenge us to do the same. Take a look. Does the outside and the inside match? Those of you who are married, I love my spouse. Does the outside and the inside match? I'm a Christian, and Christ is the center of my life. Do people at work know by your actions you're a Christian? Would they be shocked to find out you go to church here? Would they be shocked to find out you even go to church? What? I've actually had that response before, by the way. Oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. Yeah, they go to church, they go to church over at Holly Springs. Really? That's never a good thing, okay? That's never a good thing because I may not be a brain surgeon, but I can figure out they know something, you know. Um, you know, and I've had the other response. Yeah, you know, yeah, they go to church, they, you know, they go to church out there at Holly Springs with us. Ah, figures. Then I'm going, okay. But you know, when you have, that's all I'm saying is, is there shouldn't be this dichotomy. 
Because our Christianity should come from the outside in in all we do. The way we talk to cashiers, the way we treat people, the way we, um, you know, and I have a hard time with this because I can be very kind to a lot of people with a few exceptions. And, and one of them was this week. I do not, and I'm sorry, don't take offense at this dear daughter-in-law that I love, I do not like nurses. <laughs> I, I mean, really, because it's like I'm in there and they want to ask me all of these questions. And it's like, you know, I really want to talk to the doctor. You know, because first of all, I don't want to be here in the first place. And, and now that I'm here, you're going to ask me what vitamins I take? Really? You know, and I can get real short, and I have, a, I have a hard time with this. Like this week, you know, they said, you know, well, what vitamins do you take? And I said, whatever vitamin my wife has told me I'm supposed to take. They're all in the cupboard, all lined up. <laughs> you know? And so I thing where i got to realize, wait a minute, you know, one of these days, one of these nurses could walk in here. And i got, I got to work on it. I do, I have to work on it, you know, because, you know, at some point, the doctor comes in, and he goes, well, pastor, how's everything going? And I want them going, oh, really? <laughs> I don't know, I want to go to church there, uh, you know, because it's just one of those things, and, and, and so in my life, I'm working to, when I go to the doctor's office, I'm trying to work really hard to make my inside life and my outside life match, because it's a situation I just don't like. And my dentist happens to be a good personal friend. And he asked me, he said, he said, uh, he said who's your dentist back? And I said, I don't have one. And he said, well, you said you ought to come by. And I said, no. I said, we have a good friendship. I don't want to ruin it. I said, I don't like Dennis. I have never liked Dennis. I will never like Dennis. And he said, well, he said, you know, he said, come on by. He's my dentist. And I see him when I have to. But, you know, it's just those are issues that I'm really, my struggle with my Christianity yet. You know, you all have those struggles. Don't look at me like, really? I'm shocked. You all have those issues. That's all I'm saying. Our outside, our inside need to match this week, guys. We need to take a good, hard look at what areas we need to grow and stretch. We need to take a good, hard look at making sure that nobody's surprised at the fact that we're a Christian. In fact, they would expect it and allow God to use us. And Jeremiah talks to these people and he says, look, break up the foul ground, take a good look at your heart, make sure that inside and out. So if you're going to tell me you want to come back to God, great. God will take you back willingly. But if you're going to do it in word only, you're wasting your time because God's real about coming back to him. And he'll take care of all the stuff in the path, but it's got to be genuine. So I w- two challenges this week. Look, look back at what God's done. Identify what those markers are. Understand them. Share them with somebody. And then take a look at, at outside and inside. Let's make sure that our walk and our talk match up. And if you say you love your spouse, Actions do speak louder than words. I think both are necessary. It's not like, well, I told you I loved you when I married you. That should have been good enough. 
You know, no. I told you I loved you when I married you. I'm going to continue to tell you every day, and I'm going to show you every day. That's what it ought to be. That's what it ought to be. Okay? Um, I end with this. This week, take some time to reflect on what God's done in your life. Be grateful for the blessings you've been given. Because you and I have been given a lot. And look at your life. Look at the direction you're going. And ask yourself, are my actions reflecting what God is doing on the inside? And are there some things I need to change to bring that in line? And let's let God use us this week. There's a world that needs to see Christ. And they're probably not coming to church anytime soon. But they do have to interact with us every day of the week. So in a sense, we're going to take church in Christ to them in the way we live. Let's pray. Lord, use us, guide us, direct us. God, it's easy for us to push aside sometimes the the things that you've done in our lives to kind of ignore them, Lord, like driving down the road and not paying attention to the markers, Lord, that were placed there because something important happened. And Lord, often we go through life so fast, we never have time to reflect on what you are doing, what you have done, what you're going to continue to do. Now help us take some time to do that this week. And then, Lord, as we live out, flesh out our Christianity every day, may we do it in such a way that that which is on the inside comes through to that which we do on the outside. And Lord, for some, it might really be a time of establishing a relationship with you and making it real. So Lord, help them to do that as well. And Lord, may each of us be able to take your word this week and do it and not just hear it. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to stand and um, we're going to sing.